What's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, so, so much to break down. We are going to dig into all of our takes from the Mizzou spring game. I'm, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So many Connors, you know what I'm saying? Just wow. Well, Connor B is like transferred to Indiana. Come on. I, well, no, I know, but you're the Connor as well. You're a part of the herd of Connor. Good point. Good point. Um, no, not going to be a lot of. Not going to be any Mizzou spring game talk today. Um, my, my lone takeaway was JT Daniels witnessed perhaps the earliest spring game ever. I don't think it was the earliest, but maybe it was close. Just way too early to have a spring game. Don't know why they did that, but whatever. Um, tons and tons of reaction we have to the non-Arkansas SEC teams crapping the bed in the NCAA tournament. I've got thoughts on that. We're going to talk with Trey Wallace, who was in Indy to witness Kentucky and Tennessee both going down. And then we're going to talk video games in figuring out because, Will, you had a, a great experience with being an adult playing video games over the weekend that I want to be able to get into as well. So oh, yeah. stick around for that. Okay. The worst take from the SEC's NCAA tournament collapse was pretty obvious. And before I get to what exactly that was, let me just say this. The SEC choked. Everyone except Arkansas puked on its shoes. The conference blew a golden opportunity. Five SEC teams lose on opening weekend, all of them coming to double-digit seats. Arkansas is the last SEC team standing in March for the second consecutive year. They are exempt from the following discussion, right? Yeah, I feel like if you're an Arkansas fan, you can just kind of sit back and just sit on your hands and be happy that we're going to roast everybody but you. Yeah, it's like, you know, when five of you and your friends get in trouble in elementary school and they find out, they go to the principal's office and then, you know, they, they realize that it was really only like two or three kids. And then they let like the two other ones who were just kind of there, wrong place, wrong time. They let them go. Arkansas, you're, you're free to go. You don't have to spend. You beat the fraud charges. You're exonerated. <laughs> yes, you're good. There is absolutely no denying that it was a wildly disappointing tournament for SEC teams. Your top national title contender, Kentucky, suffered one of the two or three worst, most shocking upsets that we have ever seen in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Your hottest team, your conference tournament champion, Tennessee, blew it against a Michigan team who barely made the field. Your team who was number one in the regular season, Auburn, got beat like a drum against Miami after Jabari had what was probably his worst shooting night of the year, really struggled, did not look the part of number one overall pick. And then Alabama and LSU both had 11 seeds just totally stymie their offenses. Nobody is changing any preconceived notions they had about SEC hoops. Or rather, nobody is all of a sudden thinking more of SEC basketball after what just happened this tournament. The conference blew a prime chance to elevate its brand in a year in which the ACC was the butt of all the jokes in the regular season. The Big Ten once again had a really bad NCAA tournament. Look, SEC missed it. Whiffed. That cannot be denied. But man... If you think that the SEC was some fraud or that the teams at the top were just overrated coming into the tournament, you're really just saying that to fit your own narrative. Using NCAA tournament results to assess frauds is beyond stupid. Telling yourself that an NCAA tournament result is always indicative of what we saw in the regular season makes no sense in a tournament that is literally dubbed March Madness. 
Now, are, mm-hmm. what, what is fair is saying that those losses that Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn had, those losses will define their seasons, obviously. You're not going to look back. Oh, yes. Yeah, like, well, if LSU loses in a bowl game, obviously you look back and you say to yourself, man, it's frustrating that they didn't necessarily have this type of year. The, the LSU lost in the bowl game this past year very much reflected who LSU was down the stretch, even though obviously it was a largely man. different roster. What a postseason for LSU, man! They they play a they play a bowl game with none of their players and none of their coaches, and then a bunch madness game with none of their coaches. That is just uh, yeah, that's not factually. Uh, Never thought about that's that. That's hard to do. I'd have to go back and look up how many times that's happened within a school year in which a team could truly claim that interim coaches on interim coaches, the LSU way. Mm-hmm. It is also natural to go back and dissect the issues that those teams had and point to which ones were maybe more evident in the regular season. That's what we do. That that is the business of trying to figure out, trying to make sense of stuff that happens. Michigan ran Tennessee off the three-point line. Also, pretty tricky matchup with Hunter Dickinson, all the different things that he can do as a big man who can shoot it from deep. Miami did a really nice job denying passes into Jabari Smith, and he looked uncomfortable shooting for the majority of that game. And as we saw down the stretch, Auburn is in trouble when Walker Kessler gets in foul trouble early. St. Peter's put pressure on Kentucky's guards in a way that they really couldn't handle, and a team with defensive issues coming in could not stop the bleeding. All of those things are fair to bring up. You know what's also fair to bring up? The SEC only sent one team to the Sweet 16 despite five months of data that told us this was arguably the best conference in the sport, or at least in that conversation. The SEC had wins against all the one seeds in the regular season. Are we supposed to just pretend that didn't matter? Should we have assumed that it was all a mirage? Some of you want to act like we should have seen these frauds in plain sight and like they were overrated the entire time. So I would respond to that by saying, okay, who should have been put in those spots? That's not the way this works. St. Peter's, like the team who beat zero power power conference teams who didn't have a single NCAA tournament victory in program history before Kentucky, by virtue of saying that Kentucky was overrated, was St. Peter's then underrated all year? Some people act like fraud should have been evident to anyone and everyone. It's like, and this is, well, I'm gonna go off the rails here, so brace, brace yourself. It's like you're on Neighborhood Watch and you find out that Greg who lives on the corner is a registered sex offender. You go, how is it like okay, that, Connor? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you you go back and you try and figure out all the signs that should have tipped you off that Greg was living this secret life and he wasn't just the nice dude down the street who would wave as he mowed his lawn, right? You would go back and you'd play all these things out in your head when you, when you see or hear a bombshell like that. Like, wow, how is he just hiding there in broad daylight? Like, how could I not have seen Kentucky would have been part of one of the biggest upsets in NCAA tournament history? That's not how this works. It's just not. This tournament, so I guess it's not like that. That's. But some of you wanna pretend like you are part of that neighborhood watch and like you should be able to see these things when you just sometimes can't. This tournament is so random and one performance doesn't necessarily mean that it was a culmination of five months of basketball. The selection could be- The thing that's crazy about Kentucky too, man, is we watch Kentucky, like we gave them all these props, you know, in the regular season about, okay, this is not like these Cal teams, you know, they've started to like have more yes. senior leadership. They don't have these disjointed draws 
rosters with these one and dones. The assistant coaches are different. And like you watch, like you know when they rounded out their schedule, because they had kind of a weird schedule this year too. They rounded out their schedule and there was almost a month where they could have been the best basketball team in America. They were just blowing the doors off of these like, you know, tournament teams, like semi-tournament teams. And then they get to March Madness and this happens and it's immediately like, I feel like I'm watching Nerlens Noel out there. Like they've totally, all that progress just got deleted in a day. Kentucky did not lose a single game in the regular season to a non-NCAA tournament team. Mm -hmm. Nobody could have seen this coming, nobody. The selection committee's goal is not to predict results. Some people just don't get this. And that somehow includes Joe Lenardi. Joe Lenardi, someone who is paid to predict the NCAA tournament field, gave himself a giant pat on the back right after Tennessee lost. Why? Because he had the Vols as a three seed and not a two seed, even though all of the metrics said that Tennessee was more deserving of that spot than Duke. So someone tweeted at Mr. Lenardi and said, hey, Lenardi, how low should you have been seated if you eventually lose to an 11 seed? Asking for a few friends. Lenardi then quote tweets it and said, not going there, but thanks. The tourney, the tourney is an entity on its own, but I am smiling. What I mean, I'm sure that he just got into it with Tennessee Twitter. Just ba I don't know. I didn't see that interaction, but just based on how that usually goes. But yeah, that's ultimate playing the results. Like you said, like you look at Michigan, who is just clinging almost almost 500 and barely makes in the tournament. And of course, like that group of guys with like that staff and everything could just put together a great game like in the middle of nowhere. It's like, yeah, that's always how this works. Yep. What an absolute loser. <laughs> <laughs> We're still with Artie, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt here, but smiling because Tennessee lost is a loser move. Th oh, that yeah. just shows you how everyone is out for their own narrative with this stuff. When Cannell waits until after the Tennessee loss to tweet about how overhyped the SEC was and that it shouldn't have spent so much time crying about AM, you know that he's just doing that to feed him into his own narrative, right? Like, you can really make any narrative you want with March. And that's the difference between this and football because 64 of the best 65 teams in the country end their season with a loss. You wanna make the narrative that the Big Ten is the best conference? Point to it having nine teams in the field in consecutive years and eight teams play in the 21 national championships this century. You wanna make the narrative that the Big Ten is overrated? Point to it having a 22 year drought in the national title. You wanna say that Cal is one of the best coaches in the sport? Say that he went to four final fours in a five year stretch. You wanna say that Cal is overrated? Say that he's had as much talent as anyone and, he's been to, and he hasn't been to a final four since 2015. There were people who were just chomping at the bit with those Gonzaga tweets when they were in a dogfight with Memphis. They would have had all of those tweets, all those tweets would have come out had they lost. And you know what they would have said. See, the Zags are propped up by the West Coast Conference, just a bunch of frauds every year. Right. What that person will casually leave out is that Gonzaga has been to the Elite Eight in four of the last six NCAA tournaments. No other program in America can claim that. If they were frauds, don't you think someone would expose them opening weekend? Like, that's, that's what you would associate a fraud with, right? The last time that Gonzaga lost in the opening weekend was 2014, all right? Yet, if Gonzaga does literally anything but win a national title, people hammer them because they want to prove this narrative. It's all about the conference. The conference isn't helping you out. The NCAA tournament will always give you a chance to be proven right. Almost always. I remember when I was in high school, I thought Sean May was the most overrated player in the world. 
I was like, this dude is not it. So I just kept waiting for him to lose an NCAA tournament game in 2005. And then he didn't. Wait till the end. Wait, you gotta wait for the NBA for that payoff, actually. Right. But it'll come. If you're a hater, the, the, the payoff always happens. I've been hating Tom Brady since I was five. Yeah, of course. You're, you're gonna get your time. So I just waited for him to fail in the NBA. And I was like, see, I told you he wasn't any good. And so many of us do this because we wanna be right. Or we just wanna make sense of something that we saw. Sometimes though, like things just happen. And while we can see why they happen within a game, it doesn't mean that any of us had any clue that we should have expected that. Like with Kentucky, I listened to, to, Gut, to, to uh, Doug Gottlieb on, on Rosillo. Uh, he rattled off more basketball knowledge about this year's field than I will ever be able to forget. And I mean, he's like, dude's giving you the in-depth breakdown about why Wyoming has all of these great outside shooters and only one true post score, which of course everybody knows that common knowledge. Um, Come on. Yeah. Look, like say what you want about Doug. <laughs> I mean, you could say a lot of things about Doug. He knows college basketball. <laughs> Literally, anything you want is probably true. You want your own narrative about Doug Gottlieb? He gives you that. Absolutely. <laughs> the guy knows college basketball. He really does. And he said without hesitation for his national champ the week of the NCAA tournament, Kentucky. Doug is not an idiot for picking Kentucky. Neither is Adam Spencer, who was on this podcast saying the very same thing last week. I had Kentucky National Championship. Right. Tons of people did. If I had to fill out a bracket again, I'd probably pick Kentucky to go to a Final Four. <laughs> I compare it to this. I got another comparison for you. This one's maybe not as off the rails as the other one. Um, Will, have you ever heard of the poker game called Between the Sheets or some call it In Between? No. Okay. I'm gonna explain this. I, in my, my poker game that we play, it, it, it gets crazy if we play this game. It comes out like once a night. We usually do like dealer's choice mm -hmm. and every once in a while somebody will play this game. So let me explain it. It's pretty simple. You put one card face up on the left and one face up on the right. So let's say I put down a three on the left and a 10 on the right. The goal is to bet based on whether you think the next card will be between those two numbers, right? Oh, so yes, I played something similar. Yeah, yes. and, and I've, I've, there are probably a bunch of different other names for it that I did not get to. So many people probably know this game, even if they didn't know it by me saying the name. So you win however much you bet if that card is, in this case, anything from four to nine. Like if it's a two on the left side and a king on the right side, you're gonna bet a ton, right? Because think of all those different possibilities. A uh, seven comes up, you win. A jack comes up, you win. A queen comes up, you win. Like all these different possibilities for you. Odds are extremely likely that the next card will be between a two and a king. You might even bet the whole pot because if you have like a 95% chance of winning the pot, why wouldn't you? You'd be kind of stupid not to. You could be leaving money on the table. More times than not, that strategy checks out and that's how the game ends. If somebody wins the whole pot, then the game is over. But how the game continues, and everybody who's played this game knows exactly where I'm going with this, the game continues if you put a card that is outside of those numbers, or if it were this case, like a two or a king comes up. So basically, if it's a two is on the left, a king is on the right, it's an ace, a two, or a king. Those are the only cards that can come up in which you'd lose. That's what Kentucky felt like. Like Kentucky losing that game. Right. Yep. So if I had to watch that game over, I'm still betting the pot every single time, knowing that, yeah, there's there's a chance that a, a two could show up, a king could show up, an ace could show up, but I'm gonna bet the pot every single time that Kentucky is going to win that basketball game. If we're just talking about straight up, we're not getting into spreads or anything like that. Just because I bet the pot and a two showed up, doesn't mean I made a stupid bet. 
Right. I bet Kentucky wins that game like 95 times out of 100. Probably. You can't play the results there, and you shouldn't just play the results to make sweeping generalizations about five months worth of data, but so many people love to do it. Will. Can I keep doing that about college football? <laughs> I mean, people do it in bowl season, and bowl season's a little bit different than this, because with bowl season, you at least have other factors that can kind of tell you, well, this wasn't who this team was, they had opt-outs, and it's one game. Right. It's one game, it's one matchup, where you're gonna see a team, you're gonna see your team lose in the NCAA tournament. Like, if Kansas doesn't make it to the Final Four, it's considered a disappointment, and we call Kansas a fraud, each and every year, and right. we're like, ah, oh, you see, look what the Kansas looks like, you know, garbage when they get out of Fog Allen. It's like, well, or it's really, really hard to win in this tournament, and this weekend was a good reminder of that. Okay, let's kick it to Trey Wallace. He is going to offer up some perspective on just a, like, like I said, a wildly disappointing SEC showing in the NCAA tournament. Also talked a little bit of hypo, a little bit of hen and hooker. We are hen dogs. Trey lives in Knoxville. He is super plugged in with all things Tennessee. So here is Trey Wallace. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Outkicks Trey Wallace. Trey, you were in Indianapolis this past weekend, which meant you had a front row seat to Kentucky and Tennessee going down at double digit seeds, albeit in very different fashion. Um, I'll, I'll let you go in whatever direction you want with this. What in the world happened? <laughs> And what happened with the SEC in general? Because you could not have painted a more different picture compared to the one that you saw in Tampa a week earlier. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, I come off Tampa, you know, and Tennessee makes that run. And they beat Kentucky on a Saturday, playing for a championship on Sunday. Um, you get to Indianapolis, they win the championship on Sunday. Then you get to Indianapolis, and like starting off with Kentucky, you know, it was <laughs> – it was one of those things where, like, I was I was kind of working in the media workroom, and you kind of all you know you know about this where these things are. And then, you know, at the end of the first half, I start making my way on the court for the St. Peter's versus Kentucky game, and uh, I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. It's kind of close. And then, you know, you get to the second half, and you're like, oh, okay, they're hanging around. Kentucky's bound to pull ahead and make this thing go away soon. And you know, Kentucky gets up. You know, six, eight points. I'm like, okay, here goes the run. Like, it's over. I can write my game piece. Kentucky wins, blah, blah, blah. Oh, St. Peterson, nope. Sorry, Trey. You're going to have to rewrite that whole thing. And I'm like, all right, appreciate it. But, it, you know, it was, it was one of those um, – that's kind of like taking you behind the fourth wall of reporters. Um, it, you know, it was, it, was pretty, it was really cool to experience it in person. Um, because you don't get to see those type of games and you don't get to see those type of upsets, especially in the, you know, March Madness and, and with with all the crazy loyal Kentucky fans in the stands that packed out the arena and St. Peter's comes out and the Peacocks, you know, they don't bring a band, they don't have any cheerleaders, but they got their one mascot down there, which blew me away. Um, and, and they pull off this massive upset and then they don't stop, you know, then they, now they're heading to the Sweet 16. You know, St. Peter's destroyed the state of Kentucky in three days, you know, beating Murray State on on uh, on Saturday. So, you know, you you look at how things played out for Kentucky. I, I just thought that they, you know, uh, teams had kind of figured them out earlier. Um, I would say in the SEC tournament, kind of towards the end of the regular season, where look, you know, let Oscar get his, and then everybody try to clamp down on you know 
uh, on Coppin or Wheeler or, or Ty Ty Washington and, and make them work for it. And that's what St. Peter's did, and then they caught Kentucky off guard. It's just, you know, Kentucky had all that talent in the world, man, and just couldn't put it together. And, um, you know, you look at Tennessee, you know, Tennessee's so impressive in their first game against Longwood, and then they come out in that second game. And this has been a problem for Tennessee. It was all season. Where they go in these shooting slumps, man, where they go four and a half, five minutes without scoring the basket. And, you know, they're – they're up by, you know, I think it was seven points, if I'm not mistaken, in the second half. And you're like, ah, okay, you know, maybe this team is going to separate themselves, even though they're having a bad night shooting. Well, then you finish the game 11% behind the three-point off. Um, you're not giving anything out of the post. And I think that's been something that's been a problem for Tennessee all season, Connor, is that you don't, you know, when, when you got big Hunter Dickinson down there from Michigan, and then you're trying to up that by playing Euros, and playing Fulkerson while trying to throw in like Brandon Hunley Hatfield and Jonas Adu at the same time. It just doesn't work. Like Tennessee had everything they needed out of their point guards and Josiah Jordan James. But the one thing that they were missing was a true post athletic player. And it came back to bite them. And uh, they weren't getting enough out of John Fulkerson. God love the kid, man. He was just tired, man. He just, he just looked beat up and tired coming down the court every time. Um, and Tennessee got caught. And this is what happens. Like, you know, when you shoot like that, and it's been like this off season. like this is nothing new, um, you know, but the three-point shooting coming off what they did against Longwood and then coming off what they did the previous weekend in Tampa in those three games, you know, you're like, ah, okay, this is, this is really weird. Um, but I think overall when you look at Tennessee and Kentucky, I, I just think two different reasons they fell apart, okay, and, and, and two different styles of teams – but it all comes down to the shooting aspect of it, and Tennessee just did not have it in that final game. They played their hearts out. I mean, for the 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 fact that they were in it while shooting what two for eighteen from from behind the arc, the fact that they're still in it late in the game, uh, you got to give them a little credit. But at the end of the day, man, this this Tennessee team, uh, you you wasted a generational talent in Kennedy Chandler and point guard. And uh, now you got to hit the reset button, which Tennessee fans are sure sick of, and I'm sure Kentucky fans are just as sick this morning now that they have to look forward to football uh, for the next six months. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to start with Kentucky because we we knew those fans would travel, they would make it a home court atmosphere. I mean, they they would go to wherever the first round destination was, even if you told them it was on the moon. I mean, that, that's what they do. Describe what that scene was like looking around and realizing that this was about to happen because I, I love to be able to do that in those moments when you can kind of look at fans and see the reaction, when you can see players and just kind of soak in the magnitude of a moment like that. I got to imagine from the Kentucky sideline and from the Kentucky fan base that it was probably unlike anything you've seen in recent memory. So uh, here's something interesting. So I, I love doing that. I love whenever we're about to see something special, um, I want to immerse myself into a fan base, okay? So I left press row, and I kind of went, I don't know what the next level up will be, like the club level, okay, where I could see all of the Kentucky fans. And I actually sat there for the final uh, two minutes of regulation and the first three minutes of overtime. And I just watched Kentucky fans. And lots of curse words were thrown out. (laughs) Um, you know, a couple boos were thrown out. Um, and, and it was, it was interesting to see the reaction right there in person. 
Because in this business, and you know this, it's all about telling the story as well of what you're seeing. And and what I saw was a fan base just uh, gasp unbelievably. You know, and I and I wrote about it after the game. And I was talking to one Kentucky fan. That dude spent four grand on tickets, just, you know, off Ticketmaster for books for the whole weekend. And it, every, you know, that's what they do. They travel for March Madness. They travel to these tournaments because they, they turn them into vacations. And they always, you know, they're supporting your team. And, and God love them. They're one of the best in the country that does it. But then to see the reaction of them in the stands and leaving and, and throwing their trash on the ground and throwing bottles and, uh, you know, I'm not talking beer bottles, like water bottles, stuff like that, you know, just so pissed off and, and, and leaving the arena um, that it was it was it was something kind of special from a reporter's aspect of it, because you don't get to see that a lot. And then I made my way down back you know, where I was sitting right in front of the St. Peter's section um, and, and got to see the final two minutes of them really pulling away and winning and you know, just to be able to be around something like that, um, it's it's very interesting, and it is it's cool in the same manner. Um, you know, because of the circumstances surrounding Kentucky basketball and how big it is, and how many fans were in the building, and there there, there had to be seventeen, eighteen thousand, you know, Kentucky fans in that building. Um, uh, you know, and so when you look at it and how it all plays out, it's kind of magical in one way. Uh, and then big-time depressing for Kentucky fans in the other. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, a sex with my brother because my, my brother and, and his wife, they're, I mean, they're, they're diehard Kentucky fans. She, she works at Kentucky. They, they went to, I mean, I think they had tickets for seven games this year. They, they were going to, they weren't at the game. They were going to have tickets for Saturday. And I'm just texting at, at halftime because she was away on a work trip. She's like doing exercises during it, just trying to like relieve her stress. And, and he's watching at home. I'm just texting him. I'm like, you're going to be fine. Like you're gonna, you guys are going to get to go Saturday. Like don't, don't worry about it. This will take care of itself in the second half. And then, you know, by games end, you're kind of just stunned. You're like, oh, I guess we got to like sell our tickets. Like you don't even think that that's something like that can happen. And now everybody's wondering, all right, what's what's next? How in the world do you bounce back from this? And I, I wrote about how like the only way that Kentucky really bounces back is if we see, you know, Virginia like bounce back, you know, like Tony Bennett, of course, lost to a 16 seed, wins national title the next year. Coach K lost to a 15 seed, Elite Eight next year, national title three years later. Izzo loses to a 15 seed, makes it to a final four three years later. How does Kentucky bounce back from this? Is, is it possible to, to see a path like that? Or are there some real chinks in the armor with Cal's style, with the way that he runs his offense, the free, show, the free throw shooting, all that stuff? Like, how does Kentucky come back from this? Well, I think the free, uh, you know, the free throw shooting was bad. And you add in the fact that your three-point shooting – uh, was not all that hot. It seemed like they put it, you know, we all watch Kentucky this year. They put an emphasis on certain aspects of their game. Um, and, and again, a lot of that ran through Oscar Sheeway. I mean, it, you know, it's dumping it down to Oscar at the three point shots right there and letting him get his. Or I think he finished with like 30 points and 18 rebounds. And like, you know, you're, he's going to get his. Like, let him have it. But when your other players, and this was interesting when Coach Cal said this after the game, it was like when they were up, hey, he was like trying to give them answers and just trying to get them through the game with a win where they could get that underneath their feet. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, this Kentucky team and even Tennessee, you know, they, they just went through the gauntlet of the regular season and then the tournament, the SEC tournament in Tampa. Like there should be no reason why you're having to find answers to get your kids through the final six minutes of the game. 
Like they're no longer freshmen anymore. They're no longer sophomores. These these guys are veterans in the league. They've been they've been playing in it. I know the tournament is different. A March Madness. I get that in a sense, okay? But that's why you play all these good teams in the you know right before conference play starts and even during it in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge and you know that's why you know Tampa is important the SEC tournament because it gets them that feeling. I think Kentucky, when you look at it right now, and, and, you know, we'll see what they can do next year. They'll have a class coming in that'll be just fine. Um, but it's all about putting it together. And the one thing about Kentucky is it just takes time for it to all come to jail. Um, you know, you knew what you had with Oscar this year, so you could just feed him the ball in case you were in trouble. But you've got to do better when it comes to Wheeler on the outside of the point guard position or Ty Ty at the point guard position. Um, you know, getting more active you know, with Mintz or Toppin. You know, it's just there's small things in the way they run their offense that kind of confuse me a little bit, Connor, especially in that second half with about eight minutes to go. Um, they were they were playing not to lose compared to playing to win. And I think yeah. that's what threw them off. And I think we've seen that a couple times this year. So it was surprising the loss. It was. But it wasn't surprising how they lost just because we've seen it a couple times. I threw out this comp, and I, I want to see where you stand with it. Uh, Rick Barnes is the Mark Rick of college basketball. Super well-liked, great face of the program who is going to win a ton of games for you. It's going to, he's going to make you relevant. But in the end, he just always seems to kind of come up short in those defining moments. Is that a, a fair or unfair comp? I, I think it's fair. And then I also think there's a little bit of, okay, you know, Mike Schwartz is running the defense, okay, and Rick Barnes is and Gaining and Rod Clark are, are trying to run the offense, and you know they. It's hard to answer that question this year because of how bad they shot. Like I was sitting there, like Triple J, Santiago Vescovi, Ziegler, they were all getting open looks from the corner for three, uh, and they just weren't going in. Like even top of the key, they were getting open looks. So it's. It's hard for me to, to sit there and say, okay, okay, offensively, that's Rick Barnes' fault. Maybe he could have done something rotationally. Maybe keep Jonas Adu in the game late, um, see what you get out of Brandon Hundley Hadfield kind of late in the post. Um, but you saw it. Once Tennessee tried to start driving to the basket every single time they got a possession, you know, under that five-minute mark, things were going their way. And, and it was different with Kennedy Chandler because he's so good off the ball. And then he gets it and then gets right to the basket. Um, he's so quick. Um, but, you you know, yes, Rick Barnes has his flaws in March. That is well documented. But it's hard for me in this instance to put it all on Barnes just because of how many opportunities they had to win the basketball game. And that, you know, that's the difference in this year compared to, let's say, you know, that team that lost to Loyola Chicago, you know, that, that, that should have won, that maybe one of the best teams they had since Rick Barnes has been here, um, you know, so it's just, you know, it's it just, it, it's one of those things where you just have to chalk it up. And, you know, I know the, the, a lot of people want to put it on Barnes and I completely understand it. His record in March is horrible. Okay. But you also have to look at the fine tune, the basics of what happened during the game. And, you know, when your shots aren't falling, Auburn found this out, you know, against uh, Miami, when your shots aren't yeah. falling and your players in the post aren't, aren't getting enough. You're going to exit the tournament, and that's what happened to, to Tennessee and Rick Barnes. So I don't know, man. It, it, it um, you know, they, they wasted a lot of talent. I agree with on that point. I just don't know if we can put it all on Barnes. 
I talked into this in the open about how I didn't think that this this tournament showed that the SEC was overrated. I just thought it showed that the SEC failed to capitalize on a prime opportunity, especially with how down the ACC was in the regular season, with how much the Big Ten struggled in the tournament yet again. What should we take away from this weekend as it relates to SEC basketball? Yeah, there's you know Bruce Pearl tried to come out and and say that you know he this was not an excuse from Bruce Pearl, but he did you know he came out and said that you know the SEC would just would just beat each other up all year, and that's not an excuse for their loss. He's not trying to make that as an excuse. Um, I think it, I think it still goes to show you how good the Southeastern Conference was this year. I just think they ran into some buzzsaws. I mean, you look at LSU, look at okay, look at a team like Iowa State. Look at the run that they're on right now. Um, and LSU was a disaster anyways because of Will Wade and his crap that he did. I, I could have put that a lot more harshly, but, you know, we've got kids maybe listening to this show. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you look at um, you, you, you look at how Alabama played. Okay, well, what if Quinterly doesn't go down? Maybe they, maybe they win that game. You, you just never know. Um, you know, and, and Auburn just – they didn't shoot. I mean, Kessler and Jabari, I think, if I'm not mistaken – or two for 20 from the field. You're not going to win any games like that. It's just not going to happen. And, and, and Walker Kessler doesn't score a point. I mean, you just you have those nights. And so you add them all up, man, and you, and you look at what's kind of remaining. I don't think it takes away anything that the SEC did this year. I think that they just ran into some really hot teams in the conference. Uh, I'm sorry, in the NCAA tournament. And I, and I think they got taken advantage of. And, you know, it's – you, you you can't take away from how many teams are ranked in the top 25 this year from the Southeastern Conference. You can't take away from the big-time matchups they had out of conference and the wins that they had out of conference. And, you know, Auburn's incredible winning streak and Kentucky and Tennessee and, and Arkansas playing so well. And, you know, um, I, I look at it overall and I think, yes, look, you definitely the SEC could be better and there should be more than just Arkansas remaining from the conference in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, I don't buy into Tennessee, Kentucky, and Auburn weren't good. I just think they ran into some horrible situations, and it finally caught up to them. Are you, uh, are you heading out to San Francisco this weekend for Arkansas-Gonzaga? Uh, that's to be determined. Uh, we're going to figure that out here in the next uh, 24 hours. So I, I, I don't know yet. Um, uh, pr- probably is, is, is the word I'll throw out there. Um, so we'll see. I think that's a matchup Arkansas, you know, if, if Jalen Williams can, can get hot and along with JD Note, because I think JD Note, you know, will, will get his. Um, maybe that's a game Arkansas can, can put on, you know, Gonzaga and make that one close. We all saw the matchup that went down, um, you know, over the weekend, uh, with Gonzaga. You know, I, I just go back and, and if I'm Arkansas, I'll go back and Eric Musselman, go back and look at what Alabama did to Arkansas earlier. I mean, I'm sorry, Gonzaga earlier in the season. Try to replicate that. See what you can get from your point guard. See if just JD can have himself one of those just fantastic games and maybe you can knock off Goliath. We've seen crazier things happen in the tournament. So, um, I, I, I'm not saying Arkansas is going to lose on Thursday. I think they have a decent chance that they can run their type of offense up and down the court. So the the biggest thing is the paint, you know, how, how to guard, you know, around the rim. You know, if they get beat up down there, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I'm like, if Arkansas wins that game, would it even be a top five upset of the tournament so far? Like, probably not. I don't think I mean, so. I mean, I don't think so. Just because, I mean, and maybe it's because we watched Eric Musselman's team all year and we know them better than, than – 
some of the national pundits and outlets out there that don't watch them on a night-in, night-out basis. Um, but I don't think it would be, like, the biggest upset, you know, top five of the tournament, top of anything. I think Arkansas is a good team. Um, and if they catch Gonzaga, they catch Gonzaga. Um, so, you know, I think the upset of the tournament belongs to St. Peter's over Kentucky. <laughs> Yeah, no, no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, yeah. Trey, I want to talk a little pigskin as well, specifically Tennessee. Yeah. Um, Josh Heupel having a top 10 offense and at least a competent defense was a massive win in year one. I think as much as that excites Vols fans, there's a bit of trepidation because of how quickly things went south for Pruitt, how quickly things went south for Butch. How is how is Hypel fit from a personality standpoint with not necessarily being like the rah rah guy, but how do you think he's handled so far the the ebbs and flows of that job? I think he's handled inside the building really well. Um, I think he is he is he's gotten along with folks. I think that's a smart thing. Um, I think that's kind of a subtle shot at Pruitt. Um, I, I think that there is cohesion between. The president's office, the athletic director, and the head football coach of Tennessee. Okay, uh, you can put Rick Barnes as there as the four most important people on campus. Um, I, I think that when you have a football team and you have a coaching staff that's stuck together, like Cody Burns, uh, he wasn't coming back next year. You know, uh, he took the Saints job. Great for him. Great, great next step. But he wasn't coming back. Um, so they they elevate from within within Kelsey Pope, um, and, and I think that you know, like Tennessee can can keep climbing the ladder when it comes to success. they got to figure out their defense, and I think Heifel understands that, and people inside the building understand that. Yeah, when you're playing with this type of offense, you better have some depth on defense because you're going to have to rotate too many guys in. Um, but I think overall, in a, in a mindset of, of Tennessee football in the program, I think Josh Heifel has taken the right steps in the first 14 months on the job. It's only going to get tougher, and we all completely understand that. But I think overall from a, a fan base, from what they're doing inside the building and the, the relationship that he has with players and the respect that he has from players and the other coaches on the staff, I think he's done it the right way. Um, and, again, it's not that rah-rah type of thing. If you ask him about Tennessee, he's going to tell you every time, the reason I came was, you know, the, the power team, the tradition, the blah, 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 blah. That's what he's going to say. Inside the building, it's a different mindset. He's here to win. Um, and he's here to put an offense on the field. And you know what? He's given control of the defense to Tim Banks and said, hey, man, go run your thing. Go do your thing. You know, I'm going to be a CEO of this type of organization, but go do your thing. I think with Jeremy Pruitt, folks learned pretty quick that Jeremy wanted to stick his hands uh, into every single cookie jar that was around the program, and that includes the offense uh, at times. So, you know, I think Josh Heifel's done a really good job of delegating things, Connor, and that's what leads to success when it comes to uh, being a contender in the Southeastern Conference. One of the pleasant surprises in the SEC, maybe all of college football this past year, was Hendon Hooker. I mean, he did, yeah. he, I think he did it somewhat quietly too because Tennessee, let's be honest, didn't have that marquee win. We, we talked about him a ton on this podcast and while we were relieved that Hypo made the switch early in the year off of Joe Milton. But what's the level of optimism now that Tennessee fans have a legitimate starting quarterback coming back this year, probably for the first time since Josh Dobbs? I think the biggest that you just nailed it. The biggest thing for Tennessee fans' point of this is they don't have to watch practice tape that comes out every single day and worrying about how many reps certain quarterbacks are getting. 
we know who the guy is in Tennessee and that Tendon Hooker. Like, you don't have to, like, you know, CSI that thing and figure out, wait a minute, okay, so Hendon Hooker got 11 reps at one, Milton got nine. Okay, what does this mean? No. You know who your starting quarterback is. You know who your leader on offense is. I think that's very big going into the 2022 season with spring practice starting. You know what you're getting out of the quarterback, and I think that's the positive way about it. He did. He came on the scene in that Pittsburgh game last year. Uh, he surprised some folks. He surprised some folks on the coaching uh, staff that, that didn't quite know what they were getting out of Hendon Hooker because, you know what, he was in a red contact jersey the whole darn preseason and, and, and yeah. in spring practice and all that. So, you know, he is going to be somebody that tremendously is going to help the offense when it comes to, again, like we all saw last year, his ability to get outside the pocket and scramble. Um, he's got his best buddy back with Cedric Tillman on the outside that he'll be able to throw to. Um, the biggest thing is he's got to place his other good buddy, which is Bayless Jones Jr. in the slot and Javante Payton on the outside. I think they've got playmakers there to do that, uh, but it's all about the cohesion. Uh, last thing about Hooker, you know, after that Florida game last year, Tennessee coaching staff came up to Bayless Jones Jr. and Javante Payton and Cedric Tillman right outside the, the swamp, right next to the buses, and said, hey, look, no more experimenting with the younger guys. We're going with you guys. You've got to lead us. So now Tennessee's got to go find those two replacements. One of them's probably going to be Jalen Hyatt. The other one, it's yet to be determined, but I think Tennessee's in a good spot for Hendon Hooker and his success for 2022. Nobody's going to make this comparison because their games are not similar at all, but I think their arcs are kind of similar. Kyle Trask, replace an injured starter, take over, put up really big numbers, and then return as the unquestioned guy with a full offseason with the first teamers. You get those full reps as we were talking about. Like Trask and Hooker, like I said, very, very different from a style standpoint, but you know, he became a Heisman finalist and a little bit of a surprise, but everybody was kind of expecting him to take that next step coming back as a starter. Is there a path for Hooker to do the same and to be a Heisman finalist? I think there is an outside shot of him being a Heisman finalist. You know, and it all depends on the games won. We all know that, what it comes down to. Um, I think that he's going to need some help from his defense to get some wins this year. Um, he's going to put up numbers. Okay, like that's the easy part of it. But if you're an eight and four team, you know, you usually don't get that consideration for a Heisman, you know. But I think that if Tennessee can get to nine and three, something like that, get a big win. Go get a signature win. Beat Florida at home. I know yeah. they're not going to be that hot next year, but just beat them at home. It's Florida still. Just take care of business. Um, and, you know, then they're going to play Georgia and Alabama and, and LSU. You know, they're. There are wins out there that can make Hendon Hooker a Heisman finalist if if Tennessee plays up to expectations. Now, that doesn't mean a national championship or a playoff finalist, but it does mean you put up the amount of numbers with the talent that you have around you, people will start respecting that. Um, so I think there's opportunity for Hendon Hooker as a, a quote-unquote Heisman candidate next season, um, and, it, and it's going to take his defense to help him out, give him – one or two nice wins to kind of add to that resume. But, you know, we all saw his numbers last year on the ground and through the air. The the kid at times was unstoppable, and it took a lot of people by surprise. And it wouldn't be a surprise to me if, if he's out there third week of the season, let, let's say they beat Florida, and he's already putting up some big numbers, you know, and that talk starts. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see what he can do in, in another year under Josh Heifel in this offense. 
How much do you think NIL impacted his decision to return? And, and, and really, I mean, it feels like Hypo's kind of embracing that a lot. When you see the five-star Nico, I'm going to not even bother pronouncing his last name until I feel nope. really comfortable getting that right. Uh, but we see the commitment from him. Like, it, it seems like Tennessee has really embraced NIL, and it is kind of t- potentially going to be the ace in the hole for the way that Josh is going to recruit. Yeah, I mean, the Tennessee Collective that they have, it's run by Spire Group, uh, Spire Sports here in, in Knoxville, uh, where I'm out of right now. Um, yeah, they, they put together a big chunk of money, man. And, um, you know, for Hendon Hooker, here's the thing like with Hendon, like another year was probably going to do him well anyways coming back. Um, but it doesn't hurt when you're going to make six figures next season. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt Cedric Tillman when you're going to make six figures next season. When he was such a big wide receiver, you know, somebody probably would have picked him up just because of his size and a little bit of his speed. Um, I think that Tennessee has done a really good job of embracing name, image, and likeness. You know, that's the thing. Josh Heifel was, you know, they can't be involved, quote unquote, in it, you know, but. Let's be real honest. If you, if, if everybody out there listening right now doesn't think that some of these SEC coaches are somehow involved in name, image, and likeness, you know, I, I have some property that I'd really love to sell to you. Um, <laughs> I, I just think, I, I just think overall, I think Tennessee has done a good job in saying, okay, you know what? Whatever the rules are, we're going to abide by them, but we're going to do everything we can, you know, to, to profit off this NIL. And that means going out there and getting some of the best players in the country. And that's what college football is now. As much as people don't want to say it or don't want to talk about it, college football now is NFL free agency. Who is going to pay the most for you to come play? Now, it's diff- it's a little different for schools, maybe like Alabama. Uh, Georgia's getting there when it comes to also being able to put you in the NFL. Um, you know, you've got second stringers to get drafted in the NFL from Alabama or, or potentially Georgia. But the good thing about what Tennessee's doing is, is they fully embrace this thing and they understand that this is the new age of college football. And I would say the same thing for the Florida Gators. I would say the same thing for Kentucky, um, South Carolina. You know, I mean, they go get Spencer Rattler and Austin Stagner, Stagner in the offseason. And IL was a big part of that. So I, I think that these schools are embracing it, and especially Tennessee. Um, and, and it's and it's benefited them. You you go out and land the highest prospect quarterback since Peyton Manning. That's a long damn time, and 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 there's a reason why. It's not just the look. Josh Heupel is a really good offensive coach, and he's a good quarterbacks coach. But let's not make it like it's just because Josh Heupel is at Tennessee is the reason Nico is coming to Tennessee. You know, it's a part of it. And I think that you've seen this now with different schools. A&M, you know, out there just spending a lot of money on players. And it's not because they just want to go play for Jimbo Fisher in College Station. Okay, so I I think the game is changing. And whoever evolves into the game quick enough is going to be the one that can try to start catching up with Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, teams like that. So, um, Tennessee's done a really good job of, of bracing the NIL that's out there and making it marketable for players to come to Tennessee. Last one for you, Trey, and we'll, we'll tie this all back to basketball as well. Uh, yeah. We sat next to each other at, at the national championship, and we, we both saw how different it was watching that Georgia speed. It's crazy to think that six years ago, 
there really wasn't much separation between Georgia and Tennessee. So what happens first? Tennessee makes a playoff or Tennessee makes a Final Four? Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> man. Um, I, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to say a playoff. Um, I, I think there is a, a road in two to three years that would put Tennessee potentially in an SEC title game. And we all know this. If you're making the, the SEC title game, you've probably only got maybe two losses on your record in the regular season at most, um, especially with how this conference plays out in the competition. I think with the Final Four, it's just so up in the air, and, and you never know which teams are going to be good you know, or which teams are going to be able to make the run. I think Tennessee can build enough talent over these next couple of recruiting classes uh, to get them to that point. I'm not saying Tennessee's coming back from the dead and, you know, they're going to be playing for a national championship next year or the first year Nico, this five-star prospect quarterback, gets here. But what I am saying is Tennessee is on the right trajectory um, to be playing for titles in Atlanta. And that's the first step, Connor. Get to Atlanta, represent the East, knock off Georgia one year where they're having a bad year and whatnot. Um, and, and that's how you start making progress towards, you know, getting in the top ten and making the playoffs. So I'll go playoff before Final Four right now just because of what I see offensively from Tennessee in the next four to five years. Trey, great stuff, man. Really, really appreciate the time. Safe travels if you are indeed heading out west, and if not, hopefully you get some sleep sometime soon, man. <laughs> we'll find out. You know, well, I mean – we get done with basketball, we sleep right in, well, we just go right into spring football. So, um, but no, man, hey, if we didn't like what we did for a living, um, you know, we wouldn't be doing it. So, uh, can't complain about anything. Thanks for having me on the show, brother. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're gonna get. We're talking video games and figuring it out. Will, this was prompted because I saw the Twitter thread that you shared on Friday night. Oh Please yeah. explain. Please explain to the people what went down. So we were all just like sitting around or whatever. Um, I think it was like after I'd gotten off a shoot and, and um, we were like, oh, like, what are we gonna do? We we're like, oh, we can play Madden, we can play X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, like I have an idea. Cause like John was trying to play Madden with me and then Brittany was like trying to do something else. I was like, why don't you guys just play Madden against each other? And like John plays video games. He's like a competitive, like Super Smash player, anything with a joystick, like uh, first person shooter games, fighting games, anything like that. Doesn't know a lick about college football, as like, as you know. And Brittany watches like sports with me, like for the duration of our relationship, but doesn't really play video games. And so like for, for sure, like sports games, never grew up playing that type of stuff. And so I was like, all right, boom. Like they were both like one rule. You can't explain any part of Madden to us. Like you can't explain. And, and by, by saying that you, like you will could not explain any part. Yes. You had to you had to be a, a witness and not a coach for either team. Exactly, like I couldn't tell them like formations, buttons, players, anything like these were just characters with like little circles over their heads and it was the funniest thing in the world Brittany wound up skunking john because she really? apparently has a great knowledge of aaron Rodgers and like his throwing windows it was just hitting dudes in stride like it was it was a clinic dude it looked like when alabama plays like chattanooga or something and like john had drew luck on the other side of it it just kept throwing picks and like he was just screaming at the tv like i have this whole th twitter thread where i like broke it down but they basically would like get in kind of like and like Brittany. 
was trying to coach John, despite, again, <laughs> not knowing anything about either the game or the sport. So they were like, what's the tight end? Is that the guy who stands next to the running back? Yeah, like, that'll work. And my brain was like, ugh. <laughs> it, you know it's bad if Brittany gets confident to the point where she's explaining it to John. Yes. That, that is one-sided. Oh, That's, yes. And, like, oh, John, man. like, it was funny because her tips were, like, the opposite of tips. But she was winning. So she was like, oh, yeah, John, like, you got to watch this guy. It's like, why does that random down <laughs> lineman have any bearing on why John just threw a pick? It really doesn't. Like. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't need to identify the nose tackle here. Right. All right? Like, <laughs> I threw a pick because I didn't look off the safety, okay? He had nothing to do with this. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a good time. There were lots of fake punts, too which is always a good time. Oh gosh, that sounds, that, that would be something where at certain points maddening, but in the end, a joyous thing to sit back and watch. And usually, oh, yes. like watching video games is, is bad. Watching people play video games, it, especially as an adult, I've had to do it with like different organizations that I've been a part of, and I'll very often be like, this is not a productive use of my time, <laughs> even though like, you know, through like volunteer organizations, if they have like a video, like a video game system or something like that, if I've been in those situations before. You wanna do the Cardell Jones and just beat some kid 120 to nothing in NCAA? <laughs> no, no, as tempting as that is, I usually, we, we call off the breaks and I'll usually be like, hey, other kid, you wanna come in here and play? Cause I probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, you still play a decent amount of video games right mm -hmm. and has that changed at all since you and Brittany started living together I think it's actually gone up because we use it like I've talked about as like a bonding activity I think that I was definitely on like kind of the downslope of me playing video games until I got a roommate who was like really good at 2k and we went back and forth and then he moved out and Brittany moved in and yeah I think like I play a lot more like different games like back in the day I was a guy who would get latest Call of Duty latest 2k latest Madden every single year like book it like me and my boys be playing all that now it's like a little bit different like I'll play a lot more designer games like one-off games story games stuff like that so Oh, yeah, it's a really good way to like unwind, man. I, uh, yeah, I, mean, I stopped playing about nine years ago. And when I was living out in Nebraska, didn't really have a whole lot to do outside of work. Fire up the old PS2. Kids still remember PS2, right? I think maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, but then like when Lauren moved to Nebraska, I, I didn't really have the downtime that I once did because if I was decompressing, I, I wanted to spend that time with her. I wasn't going to be like, sit here and watch me play video games when that's, that's weird. Right. Um, MLB The Show 05 was, I think, the last game that I had that I like truly played a decent amount that was that was my own. And I loved, absolutely loved older baseball video games. Mm -hmm. Or I would, you know, like NBA Jam, I used to play at my cousin's house. He used to play that on his old Sega, like way back in the day when I was a kid growing up when Sega was current and relevant. Mm -hmm. But like in terms of things that I actually owned, I used to have MLB 99 with Cal Ripken oh, yeah. on, on the front of it. MLB 2001 with Andrew Jones on the cover of that. And then in college, someone gave me, I can't remember even who it was. Like we had an N64 at our house for the summer and I played a lot of Ken Griffey Jr. baseball. Hold on, you were that definitely was, not in college in the N64 era. There's no way. No, 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 I wasn't, which is, <laughs> that's why it worked. Right. So that's why it worked. And I like, I, I never owned an N64 growing up. Um, so I have a different perspective on that because it was like, I, that's, that's what we played. Did you just go outside, Connor? Come on now. <laughs> Do you actually talk to should. girls and have athletic activities? Couldn't be me. Yeah, couldn't be me. Uh, oh, look, I'm wearing a Mar I'm wearing a, a Mariners MLB Jam shirt today. Mm -hmm. um, 
which MLB Jam, by the way, is not a video game, um, but shout out to um, Homage because they make just the best t-shirts in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pronunciation's weird. Um, I called because for like a customer service issue one time, I like ordered it to my old apartment instead of the house. And I, I had been pronouncing it Homage for a really long time. And they said on the voicemail, there was Homage and it was like, it blew my brain. I up. told you I, this to be fair, but you were like, no, "You did? I've, I've, I've learned it this way. This is how it is now." Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I just ignored you. I guess. But, yeah. Wow. As per usual. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I love those those old uh, baseball video games. If you if you weren't the Mariners in old baseball video games, I don't even know what you were doing. Right. You, like you get to bat with Griffey and A Rod, then you get to pitch with Randy Johnson. Like, yep. come on, that's. Most obvious thing ever. I would always have these two-week stretches where I would play a ton of Madden or NCAA football, but it was almost like binging a TV show for me. Um, I'd sort of get it out of my system. I just would go through, you know, a season or a dynasty, and then I kind of, you know, I played for like all my free time, and then I would just want to do something else. I don't know why. I was never the person who was going to play that from start to finish, and I also never like owned it, so it would always be somebody else's video game system or something like that. So I wasn't just gonna take up all of their time. Yeah. And I don't know. I just that was never my main thing throughout college. It was just kind of an every once in a while thing, and you have these little spurts. But I was mostly a sports video game guy growing right. up. Um, lone exception is N64 games. Mario Kart. Oh yeah. Mar- Mario Party. Goldeneye. Oh, yep. Dude, the kids need to know about Goldeneye. I am not a first person shooter guy. That has never been my thing. Never got into Halo or anything like that. But Goldeneye in college, we would play that for hours. And we were not current with N64. We realized that. But I, I think like, I actually am kind of glad that, that that was the video game system that we had in college, in our college house I lived in for two years when I was a junior and senior mm-hmm. and you know with four of my buddies because it wasn't just like, oh, somebody was like an online gamer with Xbox and the main TV, they're, they're taking it up because they're playing some sixth grader you know, <laughs> in Wyoming. I don't know why I use Wyoming as the random example for two another, things. Yeah, another you know Wyoming reference, wow, a big yeah. career day for them. And we didn't talk about Josh Allen, anyway. I know, pretty amazing, um, but like N64, is it's social oh you know? yeah like it's it's really easily social like it, it the, the sports games if you're playing nfl blitz nba hang time super quick you get everyone involved mario kart same thing like i i, I loved playing those and it was such a, a fun thing to just have in our college house mm-hmm. and to be able to you know people could come in you know if we were you know, pre-gaming or something like that there's like drinking games associated with you know mario kart of course or, or whatever like i i that was probably my favorite time to actually be able to to have video games more so than just kind of playing by myself but i realized i just did the old man thing about Video games were great back in my day. I need to just get you, you need to like invest in a Nintendo Switch. It's probably the best video game system that's ever come out. And it's just like that, because you're right. Video game systems have moved more towards individual play, like when you're alone, and there's way fewer like couch co-op games. But if you get yeah. a Switch, man, you have that same, like same exact experience. You get Mario Party, like Super Smash Brothers, like all the different stuff, and you can play with anybody. Like whenever I go back home, I bring my Switch now, me and my mom will play some like, you know, Super Smash Brothers or whatever, just because we played that growing up. You have an NBA Jam arcade game in your office. I do. Right? Or is it right here? Did you, yeah. 
Can you, can I see it right now? Can you tilt the camera? Yeah, no, it is right there, bro. That is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. That like anybody that ever would see your house and walk in and see that would have a different level of respect for you. Oh, that's all Guaranteed. John. Yeah, shout out to him. He got me that for my birthday this year. But yeah, it's super nice, especially when you're on like a Zoom and it's frustrating. You're just like, have, you know, have stuff you want to say, but you can't. You just get done with the Zoom and just go dunk on people. <laughs> it's a great time. Who's, wait, who's your go-to in NBA Jam? Um, it really depends, man. Honestly, it's hard to beat the Warriors. I feel like they have like a, a fun little like one-two. So it's it's current rosters? No, on, no, no, on no, 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 it's, oh, it's, it's all old ones, yeah. Are, so is, are you talking like Mitch Richmond, Chris Mullen? Yep. That's the roster that's tough to beat? Yep. Dang. They're fun, and then Sean Kemp, obviously, and Gary Payton are like, those are probably my two favorites. Yes, Sonics are an absolute must in NBA Jam. Like, because mm -hmm. Sean Kemp can actually, they give him shooting ability too. For some like, reason, just, really, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't unfair enough they could jump from half court, yeah. Yeah, like, let me just pop this three with Sean Kemp. Well, <laughs> um, all right, Facebook questions. Do you still play video games as an adult? If so, how much? If not, when slash why did it stop? What's the best video game to play as an adult? What's the best video game of your childhood? And then any video game horror stories. I don't know if we're gonna get into any that I have. Um, yeah, we'll maybe, we'll maybe uh, save those for another time. Kobe Black says, I still love to play, but for more of the retro style, 80s and 90s type, adulting makes it harder now, but I really miss the old coin-op arcades that were around when I was a kid. Retweet. Best arcade game is either NBA Jam, which very rare to see in an arcade, I feel like, yeah. as well. Yep. More common, Golden Tee. I, I never got into Golden Tee. A lot of people love it. A lot of people love it. Like, I'm not dissing it. I just, I'm a lot more like a Galaga, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man type of dude. Okay. If you go to an arcade and, yeah, like, you have you have your pick. You know, maybe there's there's 20 different arcade games. It's not like just like an arcade or like, you know, a, a one-off in a restaurant. They've got like three little arcade games in there. Man, I, I think Golden Tee, even though it is the most common, that would still be the one that I would want to go to. There is nothing like pulling back on that and then just spinning it forward <laughs> and just sending it to the freaking moon. Right. I like, even that, was, that game was, I remember like as a kid, if there was a Golden Tee in the area, just watching the replay of like the actual, like the, cause they would always go through some sort of simulation even if somebody wasn't playing on right. it. And I would just yeah. find myself watching that. I'm like, that's a really nice shot. Wow, he <laughs> really just got all this driver in the middle of the arcade. <laughs> wow, he, he got, even got big, all that one, yeah. I'm not even a big golf guy and I just, yeah, golden tee is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to this one from Drew Page. Drew says, me and my wife still game daily and play Call of Duty together for hours on end. Sometimes we'll even play with Will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Best game I ever played was The Last of Us because it had the best story I've ever seen in a game. Okay, question. I never got into the story games mm -hmm. because I always told myself that I would be done with them in two weeks and that I wouldn't have any use for them, which is ironic because like I just said, I would binge play Madden or NCAA for like two weeks and then I would just sort of be done with them. Right. Are the story games different now do you still play them after you figure out what exactly it is or is it pretty much just like a two-week shelf life i am honestly i'm replaying last of us right now that game is fire uh it's like a zombie like apocalyptic game it has like one of the best intros to, like a game ever like dude like wakes up and he just looks on the tv and, like it's going down basically and yeah so i i think that a lot of the new games now especially have lots of options like 
I, there's really never been a game that I've gotten through the story and been like, this is a waste of my time, especially a great tier game like that. Like Skyrim, I put a bunch of hours on, stuff like that. Like the games that I've bought that are story games, like the Spider-Man games, I knew that I was gonna get like days and days and days and days of enjoyment of them. Does Grand Theft Auto count as a story game? Grand Theft Auto is a very interesting case. You could probably, the Grand Theft Auto, like the one that's out right now, has probably had more shelf life than any game in history. Just like a, in a series for sure. Cause you could go through the whole story and then just mess around. Like that's most of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I, I remember very distinctly going to my buddy Stefan's house and he would just be playing Grand Theft Auto. I'm like, wait, so you already beat the game? He's like, yeah, I just want to mess around. <laughs> that's like Grand Theft Auto is the best game in history to watch someone play. Because like literally it, yeah, it's, it's great. That's a good point. Yeah. That's probably why I was willing to watch. I wasn't just like, yeah, I, I don't really need to play. I don't really need to partake in all, all the stuff that you're doing. Um, but he wouldn't do that for like, it wasn't like he just did that for hours on end, was like sit there and watch it. We used to play uh, Crash Team Racing mm -hmm. back in the day. Crash Team Racing was the go-to. I played that more than Mario Kart or anything growing up because if you have PlayStation, that's that's what you go with. Oh, true, yeah, yeah. That game was, oh, that game was awesome. Very, very good, underrated. Derek Walden. Derek says, I don't play nearly as much as I did before I got married. Modern Warfare 2 and NCAA football were the games of choice back in the day, but I spent a lot of time on Gran Turismo and Need for Speed 2. Great games. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I'll hop on Call of Duty every now and then, but it's usually Madden or the new Gran Turismo that just came out, mostly for nostalgia state, uh, sake. I typically only play while the wife is in bed or out of the house for a while now. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough to find that time. Mm -hmm. It really is. If you play with your significant other, yeah, I mean, that's that's easy, that's kind of built in, but I even like, okay, so, you know, Lauren was at her sister's baby shower a couple, like three weeks ago or something like that, and I basically like had a weekend of myself. I just, I did housework the entire time. I did housework the entire time and I watched the, it, like, the game that we did for It Just Meant More, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I have, a, I have like a, a home to upkeep. I don't even like, I can always find <laughs> stuff to do where I'm like, I either have work or home stuff at all times. And I'm so, I, I'm so like in my head about stuff that I, and this is probably why I don't see it as a way for myself to decompress anymore is because I'm always thinking there's something more I can be doing. Right. There's something more I could be researching for the house or there, you know, I could be doing more yard work or cleaning out, you know, doing, you know, picking weeds or, or whatever, or it could be, you know, maybe reaching out to people for a story or, or something like that. There's just always something that's on my mind. Whereas if I had a job in which the switch flipped when I came home, right. Or if, I mean, I, I'd like to say that it was different when I had an apartment, but it really wasn't. But now I just, I have too many other things that I would find myself saying I would prefer this. Or I'll even, you know, I'll go through and I'll watch like a documentary that I know, um, that I know like Lauren's not gonna wanna watch. Like the, right, um, yeah. the, new, the new HBO Lakers show yep. is my, like, my latest thing that I'm like, all right, this is something that I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch in my free time. This is the free time that I get. And you know, that, that's what I'm gonna do. But I, I don't have like, two hours free in a day to go play video games. So it's just changed. That's that's actually a good point. I downloaded uh, Elden Ring the other day, which is a game I you would absolutely hate. It's the hardest game I've ever played in my life. <laughs> it's horrible. Like And like Brittany was there and I was like, yeah, you care about your play? She's like, no, it's like, dude, you die so much in that game. I was literally embarrassed. I was like, I'm gonna go do something else now. Cause Brittany was just laughing at me dying. I was like, I don't even suck at this game. It's just hard. I was like, all right, whatever. Like, you're right. Like you almost like need to have a lot of time away from your significant other if you're in a relationship and like a dude or whatever, cause it's like, 
like you got to get in your zone and you feel bad you feel like you're leaving your significant other out or like you said like she's gonna get home and be like yo you didn't do a single chore like what'd you do while I was gone exactly and then I'll look back on those two hours and be like well I I built a dynasty I guess that satisfied me and (laughs) me only great a lot lot of input I I had here Um, the the frustration of playing video games that's something that also kind of get would get to me too especially in college there was one time I remember playing it was like 2k or something like that and I'm playing with my, my buddy Ben who's one of my best friends in the world and he's just like draining threes with Chucky Atkins <laughs> just cannot miss yep. and to me like my approach was why can't Chucky Atkins miss from three this is so unrealistic right. I hate this you shouldn't be this good and so I'm I'm telling myself oh like if I'm dropping back to pass and I've got Peyton Manning, you really mean to tell me that Peyton Manning is going to overthrow Marvin Harrison like three consecutive times on a slant route and he's going to sit? Like I'm always, I'm always thinking about how unfair something is oh, like yeah. that. Sports games specifically, you get a weird fumble and you're like, yeah, dude. Or dude, my least favorite one in games like that is when guys will run out of bounds instead of trying to make a catch inbound. It's like, oh yeah, no, they probably just didn't weren't aware of the yeah. line. The wide receivers just never seen the line before. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I, I would just get way too mad about stuff like that. I'm like, what am I? What are we doing? Right, like, this exactly. Is not, this is not worth it. Uh, let's go to this one from Matthew Sedro. Matthew says, "I'm still in the early stages of adulthood, but I don't plan on abandoning my video game hobby anytime soon. It's a nice way for me to decompress when I need it, and it brings me a sense of nostalgia for my childhood. I've always been a sports games guy, NCAA, Madden, the show, 2K, as well as golf and hockey. My worst horror story was more of a heartbreak. I used to have a." PSP, the, which is, as he explains, the handheld PlayStation. Oh, yeah. Shout out PSP, I, man. I think it was ahead of its time. That was like a very brief time that was out, right? Like, that wasn't something that, that, that had like, you know, 10 years of it being out. I, I just it missed out on that. Later. It wasn't very successful. But yeah, like the Switch right now is what the PSP pretty much was 10 years ago. Gotcha, got you. Um, he says, I was seven seasons into a career mode and built a superstar second baseman who had won rings with three different franchises and held a bunch of individual records. One day I misplaced the device and I never played again. Aww. Still torn up about it and would love to finish what I started. Oh, that sucks. That really sucks. Cause then you look back on that time and you're just like, well, not not wasted because I'm sure you enjoyed being able to play, but not being able to see that through is just kind of frustrating. If you save over your your game, man, I, I had like a seven five center one time in two K. I was in middle school named Big Shasta, and he was this huge like Shaq looking dude, and he just got like saved over and i was like dude i put like three months into this game i guess i'm just never gonna play it again because i'm not gonna get that time back might as well just cut my losses sports games if you don't give me a satisfying championship celebration i'm probably not gonna do another dynasty i need that championship celebration to be more than just a typical game i need a a a video montage of my team and some of the big time moments that they had Mm -hmm. in the world series and the finals and super bowl whatever it was you better make that more than three seconds you better Mm -hmm. because i want to feel like i just accomplished something (laughs) you just look at that thing and it's like totally like your thing that you made up like that's me i did that all right goodbye i did that i made this happen right Everyone else, suck it. Dude, the NCAA would hook you in too, though, because you would do your championship. It was like, oh, I got transfers, I got recruits, I got like, they were, that oh, was yeah. the best game ever. At like, I can't wait for this championship to be over so I can get my freshman going. 
Yes, and uh, yeah, because it's different back in the day. If if you're doing like one of these games from like the mid 2000s where they didn't have free agency yet or something like yep. that, or you just get to keep your roster or something, <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, I guess that's not totally realistic, and I can just pretty much stop doing this at any time, and nobody would ever know. Okay, Nick Jones. Nick says, in middle slash high school, I was obsessed with the Halo series, mainly Halo 2 and 3. We would have uh, LAN parties? Yes. Is that how you say it? Well? LAN parties. Okay. And stretch a long Ethernet cable between two rooms so we could play team matches without being able to screen peek. That's key. Yep. Uh, we would do this before almost every home football game and play minutes up until kickoff, then run down <laughs> to the stadium to cheer on our team. Yeah, we were pretty cool. I love that. That's so sick. That's fun. It's fun when it's social like that too, and it's not just like two people. Were you ever a person who would um, cheat, look at the other person's play in Madden or NCAA? Um, it wasn't as big in Madden, obviously, but those first player, game, first player games, I had to break myself of that habit in middle school, dude, because I was an only child. I just didn't, no one told me you couldn't do that for like a year, and I was like, hold on, <laughs> why is this so easy? And then the, someone like sat me down, I was like, dude, you can't do that. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know, I have siblings. It's like an unwritten rule. Yeah, so, yeah. How did you know that I, out of this I formation, I was running a fullback dive? <laughs> if I had, wow, the game was cheating. That, that would have been 20 yards right there. Yeah, you knew exactly where the soft spot in the zone was. Congratulations, it's right. good on you, you <laughs> cheater. Uh, let's go to this one from Tanner Stars. Tanner says, I play Halo once or twice a week with a group of friends from high school and college. We're in our early 30s, wow. Uh, now that we all live in various states and some have kids, it's the most fun way for us to all keep in touch. Getting in party chat and slaying your friends while having a few drinks and talking trash is so much fun. Been playing with many of the same guys since Halo 3 came out in 2007. Aww. So here's something kind of like that just threw me for a loop wild um my sister-in-law who's like lauren's sister got married um about a year and a half ago and um her husband michael super super nice guy like just like pretty much any guy that went to your high school or went to your college or whatever his groomsmen were guys who he played video games with yep who are from like states all over like that is how they met yep. was playing video games and when i heard that i thought wait a minute, like, you guys don't, like, you didn't go to high school together, you didn't go to college together, you've seen each other in person maybe a couple times, best friends. Because if you think about it, that's what he does in his downtime. Right. That's who you're talking to. Hey, you know, let's link up, let's you know, play Halo, whatever we're doing. And it's like, yeah, well, if you talk to them that much, you probably talk to them more than I talk to my best friends. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting there on a headset talking to my best friends all the time or, you know, whatever it is. But I was just like, Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But it took me a minute to, to process why that wasn't weird. Because I, I definitely was was at first kind of like, is that, is that like kind of strange that he just doesn't have friends that he sees in person or something? Which he does. Right. But those are his best friends. And that's just who's like, hey, yeah, come be my, my groomsman at my wedding. No, that's super cool. I actually know a ton of people from my generation who did that. Oddly with Halo 3. Halo 3 was like a culture reset, especially for people our age. I uh, It's super funny. I was like a general in Halo 3 back in the day. I was really uh, good. I was like the shotgun guy. And I'll like click it on every once in a while. And it's like watching like late career Kobe. It's like kind of sad because it's like, uh. I still have some of the muscle memory of like, if I get in certain situations, I'm unstoppable. But it's like, dude, we had a game, we were playing uh, Slayer the other day, like unranked, dude, we lost 50 to six. I was 
was laughing my ass off. I was like, I'm so over my prime, dude. Like, I used to be able to carry teams to like 30 points by myself. And I'm just like, these kids today are just different. I don't know what to say. You're, you're Kobe post-Torn Achilles. Yes, exactly how it felt. It's like, I don't get this, guys. The shots just aren't falling. <laughs> Clayton Tyler LaBelle says, uh, uh, he, he lists off like his, his, the systems that he had. Uh, Xbox One, Xbox 360, N64. Rarely have time to play, maybe once a month. Um, loves NCAA uh, 2014, of course. And Zelda Ocarina? There you go. Time? All right. Crush the very phonetic pronunciation of that. <laughs> um, uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that Zelda is their favorite game of all time. Mm-hmm. Never something I grew up with or anything like that, but people love them some Zelda. I was like very nearly a Zelda tattoo guy. Glad I didn't do that. That was something I wanted to do in college and just never got around to it. Yeah, loved Zelda growing up. Picked it back up. Like played a lot of Zelda during the uh, pandemic. And like, yeah, Zelda in terms of like story games what you're talking about, it'll take you months to beat a Zelda game and you'll get to the end and like really feel fulfilled. That's how I was with the last one, which is really good. Nintendo's like, honestly dude, Nintendo's like in their golden era right now, believe it or not. Agree to disagree. That's 64th <laughs> golden era. You gotta try him at least, you know what I'm saying? Like, know, they got some stuff that's out right now. Andrew Diacomo says, yes, I still play usually two to three nights per week. Usually play NCAA football, but also mix in MLB The Show. Mm-hmm. Have a whole room of retro systems. Ooh, and yes, let's go. Wow, he's got all of them. Wii, N64. Wii is retro? Oh God. Man. That's, that's sad. Um, uh, my five-year-old son is starting to play a little, so maybe getting some more time on the sticks in the near future. When I was a kid, I always loved sports video games, could never really get into the story or RPG games. Number one horror story is having played 20 seasons of Road to the Show uh, on MLB The Show 2008 while in college. Left the system on mid-game when I went out one night. Apartment building must have had a power surge and it corrupted the file, lost all the data. No. In college, that would be so devastating. So devastating. <laughs> oh, dude, I've been there. Like I said, and like you try to, you try to get on Google, you try to do like all kinds of stuff to fix it. It's just not fixable. It's one of the few problems that you run across in life where you're just like, I'm out. I'm cooked. There's nothing I can do to fix. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. It's like the the Xbox, the the Ring of Death. Yep. I've never, I never owned an Xbox, so I never experienced that type of deflation. But I can only imagine putting in that much time to something 20 seasons in. I mean, I, I know like those kind of go a little bit faster sometimes if you do it where you're just you're just a batter. Right. And it's like only your time in the order and then whatever kind of happens outside of you, that is what it is. But man, what a devastating thing to have to come back to as a college kid. Oh, yeah. Don't wish that on anyone. All right. Uh, we'll end with this from Betty Hanna. Great name. You never get over that. <laughs> people, I swear, people have like aliases in this Facebook group, dude. Because I'll say a name and be like, what? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pretend that Benny Hanna is Will Muschamp. Yes, there he's you good. go. Yeah, he's no. just waiting for slander so he can get angry. Benny slash Will says, I'd love to have the opportunity to play, but without a solid two to three hour chunk of time to devote to playing, uh, I find I find it hard to pick the controller back up. With two young children, I find that our televisions are dominated by Coco. Coco Melon? Coco Melon. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Coco Melon and Care Bears. I'll uh, casually play a mobile game on my phone or troll the SDS podcast Facebook group <laughs> for a few minutes at a time. Okay. So, Will, must champ. Um, hope you're finding time to play video games while you're enjoying that sick buyout. 
Um, <laughs> I don't blame you if that's what you want to do. You've got a beautiful house right on the water right there. Um, you should probably go out and experience it instead of playing video games in your house. Just a thought. I, I feel like I've said this numerous times at this point, but if you're an older dude who, you know what I'm saying, is like, like in our situation where it's like, okay, well, you don't really have time, you whatever, I'm telling you, man, pick up a Switch. There's kind of the price is starting to come down a little bit. They're mobile, they're a mobile system that you can also plug into a dock and play on your, on your like, TV. And because they're mobile, you can take them anywhere with you. You can throw them in a backpack. You can bring them like whenever I go somewhere to like, you know what I'm saying? Stay overnight. We'll like go to bed. I'll just get in like 30 or 45 minutes before I go to sleep. Cause they're all relaxing games. Like the new Pokemon just came out. And it's like, like if you are like, Oh, I don't really have time for it. That's the easiest way to just have the nice little like, like mental release from a video game without having to go relearn something, you know? Do you still consider a video game if it's on your phone? Um, why not? You know what I'm saying? If you care about it, it makes you happy. Who cares? Yeah. Right. Like, uh, I guess, yeah, I'm not, I'm not asking like what's like what's better than the other, but just just, just to be able to refer to this and relate to the kids. Um, <laughs> is it still considered a video game if it's like something that you just like something that you just download to be able to play on your iPhone? Yeah, I think it's the same purpose. You know what I'm saying? And like, like Among Us, for instance, you can play on mobile with people on PC. So it's just, yeah, like at this point, these games have gotten so advanced, like even mobile games where it's like, yeah, it's all pretty much the same thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, and randomly, as we were talking about Will Muschamp's House on the Water, uh, if you have not seen Sam Pittman's hog statue, which out of context, that sounds interesting. <laughs> if, you, if you have not seen the statue that Sam Pittman got that he put right on his property, right there on the water, um, our guy's a king. Our guy is an absolute king. And uh, if, you, if you're an Arkansas fan, come, come back to the principal's office, Arkansas fans, come back. <laughs> a slobbering you, hog statue? Y'all are sitting pretty right now. It's a fountain. Oh, is it a fountain? The one that I saw, yeah, from four hours ago, it looks like a slobbering hog that has a fountain built into it that is just salivating over the bay. This is the sickest thing I've ever seen. He had it just custom built. You don't do that if you're intending to leave, all right? I don't, like, if the next time he negotiates a contract, which like he's apparently like still, you know, trying to do all that stuff, the the pushback from Hunter Yurchek will be like, man, I know you're not going anywhere. You, you just got a freaking hog statue on your yes. property. There appear to be two <laughs> hogs as well. One is a fountain, one yes. is a standard hog. So that's more more money in hogs than we may have in assets. I'm sure those things were tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> like Unbelievable. What a legend he is. We are going to have another ICC head coach on later in the week. Shane Beamer, coming Ooh, soon. Beamer ball. Gonna be great. We'll see if he wants to talk about Mayo at all, or if he's just kind of over that at this. He's actually a Mayo spokesperson. Go figure. Uh, he's, if you saw the tweet, he had to take a break from Mayo and then come back to it. <laughs> it's the, it's the gift that crazy. keeps giving, man, the Mayo bath. We love it. Yes, yes. So look out for that. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Join the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Enjoy more madness. Talk soon.